We'll be reading from chapter 7, starting verse 9. Now, in this reading, what has just happened before is that Daniel, living in exile in Babylon, has been given a vision of four beasts who signify the series of worldly kingdoms and empires of that time and into the future. Verse 9 picks up midway through this vision. So chapter 7, starting from verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The courts sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The second reading comes from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, in the New Testament, starting from chapter 21, verse 20. Luke chapter 21, starting from verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. 
So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this kingdom will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks uh, that you brought us here today, uh, whether we're here for the first time uh, and just visiting, or whether we've been here just a few times and still checking things out, or whether we've been here for a long time. Uh, we thank you that uh, we've come here for, for a purpose, uh, and we thank you that uh, when we gather, uh, we are gathering to, uh, to encounter you uh, and to especially meet your son. Uh, we thank you that we can do this through your word. Uh, we thank you for the Gospel of Luke that we've been looking at over the last few months. And uh, we thank you for this passage, uh, for it gives us uh, information uh, that we dearly and, and desperately need to know. Uh, in order to be informed and to be prepared uh, for what is to come uh, for Jesus' return. And so we pray, Father, that you give us uh, minds that are sharp, uh, that are alert, that you give us hearts that are humble, that are willing to hear. Uh, please, uh, by your word, through your spirit, uh, transform us as we, we hear you speak today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, over the past uh, week and today, we're, we're looking at the topic of living for the future. Uh, and it's a topic that some of us find easy to think about, and for others of us, we find it hard right, to think about uh, the future. Uh, living like the future, uh, I wonder where you stand with that, right? Uh, do you find it hard or do you find it easy? So maybe mentally you can think, oh, what am I, right? Uh, perhaps for those of us who do find it hard to think about the future, it's because we're too busy living in the moment, isn't it? Uh, life is good. Uh, and it's full, so why think so much about the future, right? Let's enjoy uh, the present. Uh, for others of us, uh, life is actually really hard. And that also makes us really hard to think about the future because there's, there's enough problems of right now that I need to overcome. Uh, I've got to <coughs> start uni in, in a week's time. I've got to find somewhere to live. I've got to find a job. Uh, I, I've got mental health problems or I've got other struggles in relationships uh, and in my work. Uh, who can think about the future when my problems of today are too difficult? Uh, for others, uh, the thinking about the future is just too abstract, isn't it? It's too kind of out there, too intangible. It's easier just to live in the present. Now, for others of us, living in the future is something that's really easy. It comes easy for us uh, because we are you know, very future-thinking, goal-oriented people. Uh, perhaps you are beginning university now and you already have in mind the future, right, of, of, of the sevens that you'll be getting at the end of this semester and, and at the end of your course and the honours degree and the, the masters and PhD that you're going to pursue. Or perhaps you're goal-oriented in terms of your career. You're thinking about the completion of this project and to the next one and to the, the next job step that you're going to take to advance your career. Uh, perhaps for others of us, it's a pursuit of a sporting achievement. Maybe you're going for higher honours, representing the state or the country in something. 
uh, and you're actively pursuing you know, your vision, your clear vision of the good life, well, whatever that might be for you, whether that's stability or security or success of some sort. Well, today's word from God poses for us two challenges, right? two challenges. Now, the first, first challenge is to make sure that, that our present reality, our present lives reflects the fact that there is a future and not just reflects it or not just be influenced by the future, but because of what the future holds, that that future actually determines, determines the way that we live right now. The second thing I want, that I want us to think about from God's Word today is to, to know what this certain future is that we ought to live by. Now, we can come up with many different futures that we can pursue, but there is one thing here, what God wants to say to us about the future that we have to consider and live by to make sure that we're living rightly in the present. Now, as I mentioned before, we're preaching through uh, this passage, which is a continuation, really, of last week's passage that began in, in, chapter, in chapter 21, verse 5, uh, that ends at the end of chapter 21. It's, it's really just one speech, right? It's two sermons, but it's really one speech that Jesus gave to his disciples. Uh, and it's to answer the question as to when and with what signs will the end of the world come? So if you go back to verse 5, you'll see that, right? The question is asked, when and with what signs will the end of the world come? And Jesus' answer comes to us in two parts. Right? The first part that we looked at last week was to do with the fall of Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, it's the first sign of the end. And then today, as we'll see, there will after that be signs uh, that will lead to the coming of the Son of Man in power and with great glory right? to bring in the very end. So I encourage you to go back and read the first half of this chapter to see what's going on before. And once again, if you want to listen to the sermon from last week, that might be really helpful. But let's do a quick recap right, to the end of last week's passage just to make sure that we see what God's timetable is for the end to be clear. The first clear sign that Jesus says signals the end is the fall of Jerusalem, verse 20, uh, and with it the fall of the temple. Uh, I want to recap this because some of us went here last week, but it's also really important to see the, the series of events right, that's coming up. Now, the temple, we, we remember, was the religious center, the heart of God's people, and indeed the heart of religion for the world because the God that dwelt in that temple was the God of heaven and earth, right, the God of all creation. And right at the, 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 right at the center of the temple, God uh, put his presence uh, to, to dwell there. Uh, the temple sat at the very heart of Jerusalem, which was the very heart of Israel, the people of God. Uh, in fact, Jerusalem is called the city of God, isn't it? Now, both uh, city and temple, as Jesus prophesied last week, will be destroyed as an act of God's judgment against his people, Israel. And the reasons why he would judge them has been made clear to us. Right? They're full of hypocrites uh, with corrupt religion, uh, who were uh, unloving and, and unjust to their fellow man, and worse of all, they were people who rejected God by rejecting the Messiah that God sent and by wanting to kill the Son of God, which they will achieve in a matter of days, right, from this when, when this passage uh, is spoken. Now, this passage was, uh, Jesus spoke these words mid, mid AD 30 sometime, and about 35 years later, in AD 70, the words that Jesus spoke here in verse 20 to 24 came true. The Romans uh, tore down the walls of Jerusalem. They charged into the city and destroyed the city and with it the temple as well. The prediction of Jesus, the first sign that signals the end, has happened. Right? God's end of world plans has been put into motion. 
But as we learned last week, that God's end-of-world plans actually span across right, a period of time. Have a look at verse 24. Jesus speaks of a period called the times of the Gentiles, which are to be fulfilled before the very end comes, right before the signs and the Son of Man comes. Now, the times of the Gentiles, the Gentiles simply means non-Jews, right? If you uh, want to think about how the Jewish people thought of the world, you've got Jews and you've got non-Jews, right? Jews and Gentiles. So the time of the Gentiles uh, would seem to be the time where the Gentiles, the world, uh, is dominant in God's plans. If you know your Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the Israelites, were front and center in God's plans. But here now, in the time of the Gentiles, it is the world that is front and center in God's plans. And as we uh, thought about last week, it's a time when the gospel of Jesus Christ is going out into this world in this period of the Gentiles before the end comes. But one day, just as the Jews were brought under judgment in AD 70, so too will the entire world be brought under judgment. Just as Jesus' predictions in verse 20 to 24 has already come true, so his predictions in verse 25 to verse 38, as we're looking at today, will definitely also then come true. Right? The first signs of the beginning of the end has, be has already happened. The end will certainly come. And so the question is, right, when, right, when will these things be? And with what signs right, will the end come? Uh, two big questions that the disciples asked uh, back in verse 5. And it's the questions that people have always speculated about uh, in terms of the answers to these questions. Now, we looked at all kinds of speculations last week. I won't go into it again. You can go back and listen to it for yourself. But really, it's very understandable, isn't it? Uh, that if uh, we are longing for Jesus' return, right, we desperately want Jesus to come back, then we want to know when. And we want to we know what to look forward to, right? to, to, to know that he's coming back. But even for people who aren't looking forward to it with joy, but maybe people who might fear that this God being in charge, uh, this whole idea of final judgment thing might be true, they might fear right, the end of the world coming and with it a judge where they will have to give an account for their lives. And then they too might want to know when this might happen and with what signs so that they can get ready maybe. As much as we'd love to know exactly when, and with what signs, Jesus doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us clearly, right, exactly when and with what signs. Now, you can try and invent all sorts of ways to be very sure. Uh, and over the last week, after the sermon last week, I, I spoke to a few people about our history uh, in dabbling with, you know, Bible numerology and Bible codes and all these kind of... Uh, it was really big, I think, in the 90s, 80s and 90s, people trying to predict the end of the world. And it's still big now today, I'm sure. Uh, but as we heard last week, this is really foolish and really dangerous business to try and uh, guess and interpret exactly when. Because Jesus never ever gives a clear right, calendar or timeline of events. What he does say is that his, his coming will be preceded by clear signs that can never be missed. Right? Not clear timing, but some clear signs. We won't clearly know when but when it happens, it'll be clear. Does that make sense? We won't clearly know when, but when it comes, it will be clear. And that's what he says in verse 25 to 26. So have a look. Chapter 21, verse 25 to 26. I won't read out the verses. As you scan over those two verses, you will see that he talks about these cosmic signs, right? Signs in the stars, in the moon, in the sun, right? Cosmic signs. 
And then there will be creation signs, uh, the roaring sea and waves. Uh, there will be foreboding signs throughout the world. We're not sure exactly what that is. And then he talks about the powers that are in the heavens. It will shake the heavens, which in the Bible's language, the heavens means the sky, right? So in the sea and on the land and in the sky, there will be these creation signs that will, that will signal right, the coming of the Son of Man. And we're told that so clear and comprehensive is the coverage of these signs that the nations, all the nations and the peoples of this world will see it and they will freak out, right? Uh, they will be in distress and in panic and in torment uh, and they'll be shaking in their boots and they'll be running around right, in, in fear. Signs that cannot be missed and, and we know that they aren't missed because everybody responds and reacts to it. Now, for some of us, so we've been in Brisbane a while, and some of us, we are only here a few days. Uh, and so uh, I wonder whether you've experienced yet, you know, the, the, the beautiful weather, right, that Brisbane uh, gives to us. And by beautiful, I put in inverted commas, because sometimes we have some pretty, uh, pretty drastic and dramatic kind of weather events uh, in Brisbane. So if you've only been here a little while, you may not yet have experienced a, a classical Queensland hailstorm, right? So who hasn't actually been in a hailstorm before? Put your hand up. There's a few. Oh, everyone's been in a hailstorm. Oh, you're too shy to put your hand up. That's all good. The last massive hailstorm that I remember hitting Brisbane was back in 2014. Right? Back in 2014, it was massive. Uh, you can look at it. The size of the hailstorm, it's like a south palm in hand. I think it's like bigger than a tennis ball. Uh, in the in CBD building, windows were smashed. It was flooding. Uh, it was chaos right? in, in Brisbane. Millions and millions. I think like hundreds of millions of dollars of damage. Um, one of our church uh, brothers, uh, Elvin, he was driving along on the Riverside Expressway, right, coming home from the city, uh, and he was sort of stuck in traffic because you can't drive in a hailstorm, but he was on the roads, right? But he happened to be underneath the Elizabeth Street overpass. You all know that one? Stuck underneath there, right? And he can't move, which is great because everyone else was getting smashed. <laughs> Windscreens are getting smashed, bonnets, and, oh, getting, and he's there, right? But he wasn't there in peace, right? He was in fear. Right? It, was, it, was a, it was a huge shock for everybody. Right? It wasn't just one or two people that noticed the 2014 hailstorm. The entire city right, knew about it because you could hear it. The sound, right, the deafening and the dramatic sounds of, of ice hitting your roof, hitting the ground, hitting your head. Right? People were putting their leather bags over their heads as a helmet. Uh, everyone knew exactly what was going on. You see, the signs of the end of the world will be clearer and more comprehensive than that. Right? You simply can't miss it. Now, you've got to understand also that this kind of description of signs is a prophetic or apocalyptic description. Now, whether it's literally that you will see signs or it's some other way of being expressed, it's expressing the coming of the end. Right? The coming of the end. You see, when these signs come, however they might look like exactly and specifically, the end comes... Uh, with the coming of the Son of Man, right? In a cloud with power and with great glory, right? You hear that, right? With, uh, he'll come in power with great glory uh, on a cloud. Now, this, is a, this isn't some random description and picture. It's picking up a prophecy from the Old Testament that Marilyn read out for us before in Daniel 7. So let's look at a bit of it again, just to remind ourselves what has been prophesied right, hundreds of years before Jesus spoke these words. I saw the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see, what's most important about the end uh, is, isn't the, the, the when or the with what signs. What's most important about the end is the who. Is the who that is coming. Is the, the who is the Son of Man prophesied for us in Daniel 7. He is the one who has been given dominion, right? The one who's been given all authority. He is the one that comes with the glory of God, right? With all power. He is the one who will rule over a kingdom that is over all people, all nations and languages. And he's the one who will rule over all time, forever, eternity. And so you see, the Son of Man, the who that is coming, is the singular most important character in history and in eternity. His role and his his importance is comprehensive, isn't it? It's it's total, it's it's absolute. Now, I was trying to think about this idea during the week, right? It's it's just something that's so foreign to us, right? In life, who do we know and meet that can be even close to having this kind of authority and power over all people for all time? Like in my own personal life, I think who are the authorities in my life? My parents, yeah, but I was a pretty independent, uh, somewhat rebellious kid. Uh, I got teachers at school, maybe spiritual leaders in the church, and of course there's governments. But really, you know, I don't feel like anyone has really ruled me, at least not in any appreciable or comprehensive way. And certainly when you think about the world, who in this world has this kind of power? So it's hard for us, isn't it, to comprehend a a, a figure being like this sometimes. However, I've always thought about God and a, a supreme being. And if there really was such a thing as a God, a supreme being, then by definition, he would have made uh, and it would be in control of everything in the world. Uh, and he would be someone who had the authority and the power to be able to do whatever he wants, but also for, us, for him to have control and to rule over uh, everyone for all time. You see, God, by definition, should have this kind of power and authority and rule forever, isn't it? Total power, total authority over the totality of all things and people, including you and me. That's the the Son of Man. This is the who uh, that is coming. So then, this has massive implications and massive consequences for all of us, doesn't it? Whether we are a believer or whether we are not sure or whether we are not a believer, whether we, are, we, are, we love Jesus and are really looking forward to his return, or we hate Jesus, or we are indifferent to Jesus, right? If he is coming, then it will either be the best news ever, or it will be the worst news ever. Now, I'm going to expand on the implications of his return uh, at the end, but before I do that, I want us to be convinced, right, from what Jesus goes on to say about the certainty of his coming, right, about the certainty of his coming, because the more certain we are that he's returning, then the more likely that we will want to respond 
rather the implications and the consequences would actually matter to us. Uh, so let's have a look at that. Now, as Jesus carries on in this uh, speech in verse 29, he tells a parable about a fig tree and about other fruit trees. And it's a very simple point, isn't it? Uh, as you, once you start seeing leaves appearing on a, on a, on a tree, uh, well, then summer's coming, right? Summer's near. Uh, if you live in a country which is not like Brisbane, which is like kind of tropics, but somewhere where in the winter everything dies, the moment you start seeing leaves sprouting, well, you know summer is on the way in. I suppose if Jesus was in another culture, another time, he might say something pretty similar like, you know, when the sun sets, night falls. Uh, when the dark green clouds form over Brisbane, a hailstorm is about to hit. Right, that's just a tip for those of you who are new to Brisbane. You see really dark green clouds, take cover, right? Because you're going to get hailed on uh, in a moment. Right, one thing follows the next. When cosmic and creation signs cover the earth, the Son of Man will come. He will bring in the kingdom of God. He will execute the final judgment. Right, that's what will happen when he comes. And then we're told that it will probably happen quickly. And I think that's what verse 32 is saying, right? It will happen quickly. Truly I say to you, verse 32, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now, if you're someone who reads the Bible, you would know some of the tricky verses, and this is one of them, right? Uh, it sparked a lot of debate and speculation. Many books have been written about what is going on in this verse. Which generation is Jesus talking about? Because it sounds like Jesus is saying that all of the signs of cosmic and creation signs and his coming will occur all within the generation of the disciples. But it obviously didn't happen because that was about 2,000 years ago, right? And so you kind of wonder, did Jesus get it wrong? Right? Did Jesus get it wrong? Uh, and if he did get it wrong, then you kind of wonder, why did Luke write it down? Because he would know that Jesus got it wrong. Or why would the early church kind of keep this verse in? You'd probably get the white out, right? And you'd probably white out this part of the Bible so that no one could copy it, right? Because to protect, you know, the, the perfection of Jesus, perhaps. So what's going on, right, in this, in this verse? Now, one thing that's worth considering regarding the timing is that in a few days after Jesus spoke these very words, when Jesus died on the cross, remember what happened, right? There were cosmic signs, wasn't there? The entire land went black in the middle of the day. We are told that there was an earthquake that shook the ground, that even opened graves. And then 40 days after his resurrection, uh, we are told that he ascended back into heaven and Jesus uh, and, and Luke tells us these words, right? And when he had said these things, when Jesus said these things about his, his return, uh, uh, sorry, about, about the, the mission, uh, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, sorry, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Interesting, isn't it? We've got cosmic and creation signs. We've got the Son of Man on a cloud going to the Father, to the Ancient of Days, with the promise that one day he will return the same way in which he left. And so, within the lifetime of the disciples, they experienced some pretty amazing things. Didn't they? They got to see the fall of Jerusalem and the temple, they got to see the beginning of the end of the world. They got a glimpse of the cosmic and creation signs, and they saw the Son of Man on a cloud. Now, it wasn't the comprehensive signs and the final coming that we expect from when we read verses 25 and 26, 
but it is a glimpse, isn't it? It is a foretaste. It is a preview. It is a sign that the full and final coming will certainly happen. Some things have already happened which guarantees that the future things will certainly happen. So what then about Jesus' promise that this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place? Well, uh, that's also speculation, but my own current conclusion is that this generation that Jesus speaks about is the generation that sees the signs of verse 25. And within a very short span of time, right, the Son of Man will come. They will see it all in their lifetime, perhaps even quicker than a lifetime, but within kind of moments of each other. I'm not sure, right? But whatever it is, remember, it is not the timing, it is not the when or the what signs that is most important. It is the who, right, that is the most important. So certain that he vows in verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is definitely happening. You see over and over in scriptures, and we see it in this passage, but also elsewhere, that uh, the when and what really isn't that important. And it's not for us to be caught up with you know, the specific timings and events that signal Jesus' coming. What is important, what is most vital is who is coming and the certainty of his coming. The certainty is built on facts of history, things that have already happened, and it will definitely then come. So, what then about implications, right? So, today's sermon has quite a lot of implications and left uh, quite a bit of time for us to work through. Uh, two parts. The second part has kind of four points. All right? I'll go through them uh, in, in relatively equal length uh, to draw for us some important implications for us to consider. Because if, right, if, and this if is with, if with certainty, uh, the Son of Man is returning in power and with great glory to bring an end to this world, to bring about the final judgment before he ushers those who stand with him into his eternal kingdom, then what does it mean for us? The first thing I want to say is that uh, and, and we're going to go through the passage because Jesus actually spells out some implications for us. I'm not making this up. Jesus is actually telling us what implications are important to think about. The first is in verse 28, right? What the future holds for believers is redemption. Right? That's what we've got to look forward to, redemption. Right? To be redeemed uh, in the context of this passage is to be rescued out of this fallen world. To be rescued out of this fallen world with all of its brokenness, and its hardships and its suffering, uh, and to be brought into His kingdom, right, which will not be broken, but which will be perfect and good. It is to be rescued uh, out of the persecution uh, that believers face in this world. Remember last week's passage, which is the one speech? If you follow Jesus, if you call on the name of Christ and you proclaim Him, you will be hated, Jesus says, for my name's sake. All the way through the New Testament, over and over again, Christians are, are reminded right, that the reality of being a believer is that if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer for it. You will be persecuted. But the promise here is that when Jesus returns, redemption is ours. We'll be rescued out of this fallen world and we'll be brought into His eternal kingdom. And so whatever loss that we sustain now, we will gain back then. Right? What, whatever hurt that we suffer now, we will be healed then. Whatever griefs that we suffer now, we will be comfort, comforted 
right, forever. And so Jesus says, right, straighten up and raise up your heads. Because it's so easy, isn't it, as believers who are feeling the weight of the brokenness of this world, who are weighed down by the persecution, right, as we try to stand for Jesus and we are shouted down. It's so easy to be bent over and to, and to cower and to shrink back in fear. But Jesus says, straighten up and lift up your heads. Stand tall with courage, even as you face all these hardships. And not because, you know, we are so strong in ourselves. Not because Jesus is promising us that if he stands with us right now, he will solve all of our problems of today and this lifetime. No, it's because we have a future that is guaranteed for us. Redemption, where all things will be made right. A redemption that is certain and secure. So we can stand tall now. Now, the certainty of the future, the certainty of His coming, must impact then our present lives, right? How, how do we live in the present lives in light of His return? Now, the biggest implication of what Jesus is saying in this passage is to have our present impacted by the future. And for some of us, this will be really difficult, isn't it? Because at the beginning, when I asked you guys, are you someone who finds it hard or finds it easy? Well, for some of us, find it really hard to think about the future. It's just not really in our personality, right, to be thinking uh, about the future. Uh, you know, we are just kind of uh, people who just live in the present. We are concrete thinkers, right? Um, your personality type. For others of us, we are caught up in the present, right? There's so much to do. There's so much to, to enjoy. There's so much fun to be had. There's so much work to do, right? There's so many responsibilities I've got to fulfill. Right, I've got, I've got a job, I've got kids, I've got my studies, I've got my work, I've got my social life, I've got my sports. I just can't afford to think about the future. Right? All I've got energy for is to think about the present. For others of us, we do consider about the future, but I wonder whether Jesus has any part in that future. I wonder whether the coming Son of Man has any uh, impact uh, in that future that that, 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 that impacts our present. What dominates your future thinking about your life? Right, is, it, is, it, um, is it just the, the end of your course or, or the end of that work project? Is it about the end of that relationship and that wedding day you're looking forward to? Is it the, the end of the children being so young so that when they grow up, I'll have more time for myself and to think about things? What, what's in your vision of the future? And I wonder whether the Son of Man and His return whether that's a huge factor, a dominant factor that shapes the way we think about the present. Now, can I urge you, and this might be asking a lot, but this is God's word, isn't it, telling us to, to change our mindset, our perspective on life, to change perhaps even our personality. Now, if Jesus really is the Lord of our lives, then our personality is wrong. We might not change it completely, but we can certainly let it change enough for us to think about things that we don't often think about, to have things matter to us that didn't matter to us before. You see, we can't afford not to consider the future, the reality, the certainty of the coming of the Son of Man in power and glory. Remember, the Son of Man is the, the, the biggest factor, the most influential character, not just in all of history, but for each of us individually. And so if you're not a believer here today, can I invite you that the first and best and most important thing you can do is to come to Jesus and come to see Him for who He is and to trust in Him. To believe that He is the Son of Man, God's King. To believe that He came in this world not to judge, 
but to save, right? To give his life as a ransom for you, to secure for you that, that innocent verdict that I paid for your sins verdict on that judgment day so that you can stand with him by trusting in him, so that you can enter into the eternal kingdom with him when he returns. That's why he came. Can I invite you to, to stand with him now and put your trust in him? By living in trust in, uh, uh, in Jesus and to, to live in obedience to him is the good life, not just now, but forever. Now, as for the rest of us who are believers, well, Jesus calls for us to watch our lives, right? to watch it really carefully, to, to guard our lives with great vigilance and attentiveness. Jesus is basically saying, right, in, in, in verses 34 to 36, right, do everything you can. Do absolutely everything you can to hold on to me so that you will stand with me and go with him into his eternal kingdom. And he says, right, don't allow yourself, don't allow your life, don't allow your heart right, to be weighed down. And he mentions right, dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. Now, dissipation is a word that we don't usually use. I haven't used it basically any time in my entire life. Uh, but it basically means uh, you know, um, uh, distracting uh, and harmful pleasures Right, carousing, right, that you allow yourselves to be weighed down and sucked in by. Uh, drunkenness I can reflect uh, the sinful excesses that we give ourselves over into and the cares of this life. Well, I think we all know what that is. It's the, the, the worries and the, the troubles, the desires, the pursuits that we chase after or that we allow to kind of weigh us down or beat us down. And Jesus commands us, right, for our good uh, to be watchful over all these things. Now, these things are, are very general categories, right? You've got pleasures, sins, and cares. Um, and, and if you just kind of leave it at being some of a general kind of uh, instruction, you're not ever going to really be watchful, are you? We really need to drill down right, into these areas of our lives for ourselves, because each of us will have different temptations and different struggles, different things that will lead us astray will lead us not to hold on to Jesus. And we need to do the work of drilling down. Because how can you be watchful and be careful and to guard yourself if you don't know specifically what are the dangers and what are the pitfalls in your own life? Right, so this, this sermon, this passage, isn't just for us to think about for the few minutes of this sermon, but for us to, to really consider right, as we chat with each other after the service today, but as we meditate on this during the week, right, what are the pitfalls and the dangers that you need to really guard yourself to make sure that you stick with Jesus. Now, there's a great urgency to this, right? This isn't something that we can put off till later, not till when you put off uh, till you've got more time, not, not till when you, know, you set up well into Brisbane and to your course in the coming months. It, it's not when the, you know, the, the big work project finishes or when the kids grow up. Because Jesus warns here, and he, he does all through the Gospels and all through the New Testament, that the day of his coming will come quickly and suddenly, like a thief in the night, is the description that he often uses, isn't it? There is an urgency to this. Right? The time to do something is now. Right? Now is the time to be spiritually alert and awake and watchful. Now, it sounds like a lot of effort, right? and it is. Right? Being a believer isn't just a passive sit back and let go and let God. Uh, it's about striving right? to be watchful and to... To, to, to trust and to repent and to obey Jesus. But thanks be to God, we don't do this just with our own strength, which is why Jesus goes on to tell his disciples to pray for strength, right? The, the second half of verse 36. It's hard work, isn't it, to train our minds to have a different perspective of life, 
to try and change our personalities, to care more about living for the future, to, to be able to withstand you know, all of the, the pleasures and its uh, luring effects and all the sins that you know, tempt us to fall into and all the cares of this world that grips us. And that cares one is a big deal, isn't it? We all have many cares, right? Some of them are right cares, of course. We have to live. We have to look after others. We have to deal with sickness and mental health problems and relational problems and, and the brokenness of this world and the persecution that we face. And that's why all the more we need strength, which is why Jesus tells us, pray for strength. Thank God, praise God, that through prayer we can ask for strength that we need. Because without His help, I don't know about you guys, but I would feel like it's impossible, isn't it, to hold on to Jesus. Now, finally, let me touch very briefly then on the final two verses. Right? I've said enough, but the last two verses I want to talk on very briefly. Uh, verse 37 and 38, clearly they're not instructions. Right? The, the, the speech that Jesus gave is over in verse 36. And what we have in verse 37 to 38 is kind of like a narrative summary of this section. Uh, it summarizes what Jesus did right, when he was in the temple all those days. It began, remember, chapter 19, Jesus entered Jerusalem, went straight to the temple, and all of the next two chapters plus has been all about him and his activities in the temple. So it's not instructions, but I think we can still see that the reason why Luke recorded down for us this summary, and it has implications, I think, for us as well. We see in, these, in the summary verses that Jesus, remember, this is the final days of his life. In chapter 22, verse 1, if you flip over, he's about to be arrested and then he's going to be crucified, right? This is the end for Jesus. But what does he do in the final days of his life? He devotes all of his waking moments to teaching at the temple to all who would listen. He taught so that people would be informed and to be prepared right, for what is to come. Now, as we've seen over the last few weeks, that there were many who hear Jesus' teachings and then they scoff and they reject, and they refute, and they want to destroy Jesus. But for others, we see that from early in the morning, they would follow Jesus and listen intently. And we can hope, and perhaps we can even assume, that if they were to do that, they would have heard with hearts of faith, with a desire to believe and repent and obey Jesus. And I think that's the final implication for us today as we finish off this section in Luke's Gospel. Right? It's a call for us Likewise, to desire to hear and to respond to Jesus, right? Every day, every week, every month, every year for the rest of our lives until Jesus returns. Because as we've seen, who came into, the, into Jerusalem to die? It was the King of Peace. Who's the one who's coming back? The Son of Man. So the call for us is to receive His peace, to submit to His authority. Don't reject it. You see, everything that we need to live in the present, in light of the future, Jesus teaches us in His Word. We have it in front of us. Let us be those who read it and meditate upon it, who listen with faith, repentance, and obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your Word. And even though as we read through this chapter, it may seem like it's full of confusing things about uh, timings and signs and, and things about the past and about the present and the future. Uh, help us to not get, get caught up uh, with unnecessary details and confusions, but instead to be able to see so clearly uh, what your message is to us. 
we thank you that it is not so much the when and the what science that should consume our thought uh, and our worries, uh, but it is the who that is coming, uh, the Son of Man, Jesus in his full power and glory to bring in the end of the world, the final judgment, where he will usher in uh, into the eternal kingdom, a place where those who trust in him will experience the full redemption of all that is fallen and brokenness and broken in this world. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us to see uh, that the certainty of his return is sure so that we might live in the present uh, in a way that, is, uh, uh, that befits what the future holds. Help us now to think about what it means to trust Jesus. Help us to know what it means to, to live life in a way that honors him. Help us to know what it means for us to, to see that uh, proclaiming him and sharing the gospel to others who currently are staying on the wrong side of your judgment to see how important and how much of a privilege that is. So we pray, Father, wherever we are at, whether we're beginning a new school semester, whether we are continuing on in work life, whether we are the beginning or the end of our parenting days, whether we are struggling with mental health issues or singleness or unemployment, whatever it is that we're going through in life at the moment, help us to think about how the future can shape our present. For this we pray in Jesus' most precious name.